Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part four of his series, Victory in the Midst of Seeming Defeat. All right, praise the Lord. Victory in the Midst of Seeming Defeat, part four. You know, we've been talking about how God intends for us to experience victory even in the midst of seeming defeat. I mean, victory is one thing, but it's especially satisfying if it's achieved when it looks like all hope is lost, the odds are against you, and the enemy's closing in on all sides. So what I'm trying to do is highlight Bible stories and personal testimonies that illustrate how real people, just like me and you, were able with God's help to achieve stunning victories, even in the midst of seeming defeat. And I'm going to wrap it up this morning with some real doozies. I mean, some stories that are absolutely amazing, and if they weren't in the Bible, they would be really hard to believe. And when we're done, I believe it'll encourage you to fight your own battles with what I call an assurance of victory. And I hope we can help you establish this concept of assurance of victory as a permanent mental and spiritual state. What I mean by that is this, that when you find yourself in the midst of a spiritual battle, you should enter that battle with a mindset of victory, a mindset that says, I cannot be defeated. A mindset that says, God is on my side, and if God is for me, who in the world can be against me? Think about that. That's Romans 8.31, by the way. If the God who made the universe is for you, who in the world can be against you? I mean, the God who made the hundred billion galaxies that we can see, not even counting the ones that we can't see. And each of those 100 billion galaxies has an average of 100 billion stars in them. I'm telling you the God that did that is on your side. And if he's on your side, you cannot be defeated. I mean, if the most powerful being in the universe is for you, who could just speak one word and your enemies would be dust in a matter of a second? If he is on your side, you cannot be defeated. So I thought it would be really cool if we could set the tone this morning by reading about the day when God in the flesh will return to planet Earth. And I want you to see the kind of warrior that we're following as the army of God, and we are the army of God, and the kind of warrior that He wants us to be even in this day and this age. Turn with me in your devices or in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. Oh, I'm afraid of that book, Brother Scott. I go from Matthew to Revelation and I bounce off. Don't do that. Read it anyway, even if you don't understand it. The Bible says he who reads this book gets a blessing. Amen. I taught Revelation for seven years and I still don't understand it all, but I understand a great deal more than I did before. Amen. Revelation 19 verse 11 through 16 in the King James Version. I know that's old school, but it just sounds so much cooler in the King James when you read this passage. 
And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Sounds cool already. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's you and me. Did you hear me? That's you and me. I'll read it again. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Do you ever think about this? That means that in the stables of heaven, somewhere up there in heaven, there is a flying horse with your name on it. I don't know about y'all, but that is way cool. Now, I don't know if they have wings or not, but it's clear they have to fly to get from heaven to earth. Amen. Hallelujah. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he would smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Now, some people would debate me on this, and I've heard theories on both sides, but I firmly believe that Jesus has a tattoo on his right thigh that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. How cool is that and how unreligious is that? I mean, he's an awesome, mighty warrior. Got a tattoo, got a robe dipped in dried blood, and he's got a sword that comes out of his mouth and slays his enemies with just a word. That's the guy we're going to be following. Amen. Amen. We should see ourselves riding into battle following that guy. Who will not be defeated. Who cannot be defeated. We need a permanent mindset shift that says no matter what we face, victory is assured. To help you build a mental picture of that, I'm going to share some amazing stories that will bless you and I believe will build your faith. So you can always believe that victory is assured no matter what comes against you. Now, I'll let you know ahead of time, we're going to read a bit of Scripture. But this is the church of God and we can read the Bible in church. Amen? So, as I've said many times before, just consider it story time with Dr. Scott. Now, before we go any further, I need to preface everything we talk about from here on out with this. The stories that we're going to reference are stories of actual physical combat between the natural forces of good and the natural forces of evil. Now, unless you're in the military, the ministry of wrath, Romans 13, 4, I want to make sure everybody knows we're going to be applying these lessons that we learn to fight our spiritual battles. Amen? Everybody clear on that? And the enemy we're fighting is not an enemy of flesh and blood, as the Bible says. We're fighting the forces of spiritual darkness. Amen. So the first story I want you to hear about is Elisha 
and the city of Dothan. We're going to have some fun with this. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 8. Obviously, it happened in the time of the kings. Starting at verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Let me break that down for you. Here we see that the prophet Elisha was operating in the word of knowledge and word of wisdom concerning the battle plans of the king of Syria. And every time the king of Syria would make a strategic move against Israel, Elisha would see it in the spirit, he would hear it in the spirit, and he would tell the king of Israel exactly what was going on. So the king of Israel countered every move and they avoided one dangerous scenario after another. Verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? I mean, he's saying, I think we got a spy in the camp. How else do you explain how the king of Israel has been able to stay one step ahead of us every time? Who among us is on the side of Israel? Verse 12. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So the servant's saying, there's not a traitor in our midst, but there is a prophet in Israel. And he's able to hear every word you speak and see every move you make. Verse 13. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Man, you done done it now, as we would say in Mount Airy. You made the king of Syria mad and he sent a whole army to fetch you. Verse 16. He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Think about that. You're surrounded by the army of Syria, and the prophet says, don't worry about a thing. We got more on our side than they got on their side. And although it's not written in Scripture, you got to know that Gehazi, that's the name of Elisha's servant, He had a really perplexed look on his face and was probably worried sick. So Elisha saw that look and the fear that was in his heart, and he said this in verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire 
all around Elisha. Woo, glory. Hallelujah. What I believe Elisha was trying to show his servant was this. When you go into battle or when the battle comes to you as a believer, you got to know going in that the enemy you face is already outnumbered. There are more that be with us than those that are with them. Amen. I mean, even practically, we know that from Revelation chapter 12, you read about how Satan cast with him a third of the stars of heaven, a third of the angels in heaven sided with the devil and were cast out of heaven. So we know already that there's twice as many good angels as bad angels, twice as many angels that stood with the Lord than those that stood with Satan. No matter how many angels there might be, billions perhaps, there are two times as many good ones as bad ones. And you know in this story that those chariots had riders, and those riders were angels. I hear they prefer to call themselves the host. Anyway, the host that surrounded the Syrian army were fierce warrior angels ready to go into action, listen, to protect the man of God and his servant. They weren't there to protect Dothan. They were there to protect Elisha and Gehazi. Isn't that awesome to contemplate? So what can we learn from the story of Dothan? Other than the fact that angels are everywhere, whether you see them or not. Well, it's very simple. There are more that be with us than those that be with them. There are multitudes of angels available to come and help you when you're in time of need. Amen? Psalm 103.20 says this, The angels excel with strength, and they hearken to the voice of the Word of God. If you're in trouble, if you're in a battle... The first thing you need to do is start speaking the word of God. And when you do, the Bible says they hearken to that word and they go into action on your behalf. Don't underestimate the ministry of angels. And then there's something we have that they didn't have. And I had to throw this in there because we got to get a New Testament flavor on this. We've got the greater one living on the inside of us. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. We've got the greater one living inside of us. And we're surrounded by angels sent from heaven to protect us. I say again, victory is assured. Amen. And if you take on that mindset, if you make it a part of your permanent mental and spiritual state, you'll experience a whole lot more victories than you will defeats. I'm not here this morning to tell you that I have won every spiritual battle and every faith battle. I haven't. But I'm getting there. I'm gaining more victories and less defeats because I'm taking this mindset that I cannot be, be defeated that there is assurance of victory because the greater one lives in me and angels are all around me helping me. I'm preaching myself happy. 
Listen, I need to hear this too, you know. I'm preaching to you, but I'm preaching at me too, amen. Let's talk about Hezekiah and the Assyrian invaders. Mind-blowing story, absolutely mind-blowing. I need to give you a little background. This also took place during the time of the kings. Hezekiah, king of Judah, was a great man of God. He followed the ways of David, his forefather. Long story short, he receives a threatening letter from the king of Assyria. And at the time he received this letter, Assyria had already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and all of the other walled cities in Judah. Jerusalem was the only one left. If Jerusalem fell, all of Judah would collapse. And I might add, the line of David would be threatened and the coming of the Messiah would be threatened. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19. We'll start reading at verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Amen. Don't you just love that prayer? I love, love, love that prayer. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah says, the gods of all the other nations could not save them. But surely the God of Israel, the Most High God, can save us. So deliver us from their hand, O Lord, he says, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 20, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Don't you love that? Isaiah picked up on it in the spirit and he prophesied. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. Now, there's a lot of stuff that we're not going to read, but it's actually kind of humorous because he spends quite a few verses mocking the king of Assyria. He says things like the little girls in Jerusalem will wag their fingers at you. That's how afraid we are of you. So after mocking him, he gets down to business here. And verse 32, so skip to verse 32. This is still the word of the Lord from Isaiah the prophet. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. 
By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And this is the mind blower. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. I just will leave that hanging for just a sec. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. I'm going to read it again because it's just so cool. It's just cool to just listen to it. This is what you call a stunning victory in the midst of seeming defeat. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home with his tail between his legs. That's me added. And lived at Nineveh. And then later on, you read on that two of his sons assassinated him because he, got, he brought great shame on Assyria. And the ironic thing is, he was worshiping his God when they did it. I mean, this should have been proof enough that his God was no match for the God of Israel. All right, praise the Lord. Now, we have studied this story before, and if you want a really detailed uh, description of what went on, there's a whole lot more to it. You can go to November 2020 on the podcast, and you can find it under the title, The Lies of Rabshakeh. Rabshakeh was King Sennacherib's messenger that sent these threatening letters and even went to the wall of the city and hollered up at the defenders and told them what bad things the Assyrians were going to do to them. So it's really involved and it's really cool. So if you want to check it out, November 2020, The Lies of Rabshakeh. But the reason I brought it up today is because I want to leave you with one significant takeaway. Now, from the Bible, we know that there are innumerable angels that were created by God. But it only took one angel to wipe out the entire Assyrian army. Just one. Not a billion. Not even a hundred. Just one angel. Now, this is the word of the Lord embedded in my sermon. The battle you're fighting right now can be turned around in your favor by the actions of just one angel sent to help you. How much more confidence or assurance of victory should we have knowing that there are multitudes of angels available to work on our behalf? Amen. Hallelujah. It blessed me. I hope it blesses you. Lastly, Joshua and the five armies. Now, unlike the first two stories, which took place during the period of the kings, this story takes place during the conquest of Canaan, the conquest of the promised land by Joshua. And it is in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 10. Turn with me, if you will, to Joshua chapter 10. We'll start reading at verse 1. And this is just... This is just so awesome. <laughs> the other two are awesome, but this is awesomer. <laughs> it's really good. Hang with me. Joshua 10, verse 1. 
as soon as Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were warriors. So Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, <laughs> to Piram, king of Yarmuth, to Yafia, king of Lachish, and to Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Thank God I got through that verse. Come up to help me. Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Yarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon said, oh man, we need your help. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. Five armies come on our way. We need your help. So here we have a situation where five kings and five armies decided to come against the city of Gibeon because they made a peace treaty with Joshua and the army of Israel. Also because they saw what they had done to Jericho and Ai. And now that Gibeon was under attack, Israel was obligated to come to their defense. Even if it meant they had to go up against the combined strength of five armies at one time. Think about that. They were definitely outnumbered. Verse 7, so Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Praise God. Notice the Lord tells Joshua that he has already given him the five armies. It's a done deal. All you got to do is go fight the battle. You know, that's the same thing the Lord told them about Jericho. He said, Behold, I have given you the city. Later on, Joshua said, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the walls came down, and they conquered Jericho. That's what we call calling those things that be not as though they were. That's Romans 4, 17. Talk about an assurance of victory. Verse 9, so Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Think about that. God got involved in the battle directly. It says the Lord threw down large hailstones. And I know from my years of teaching the book of Revelation 
There's a curse in Revelation where hailstones the size of bowling balls fall from heaven. So just think if this was one of those kind of hailstones, that's going to leave a mark. And get this, more the enemy died from the hailstones than died from the sword of the army of Israel. Why? Because he wanted them to know, listen, I turned the tide of this battle. You were outnumbered. Really, in the natural, you had no hope. But I came to your defense because I'm the Lord, your God. Hallelujah. Verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, listen to this. Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ayalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Did you hear that? I know you've heard this story, but it is worth hearing again. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Now, what I want you to take away from the last part of this story is this. God is not in the business of giving you an almost complete victory over your enemies. He wants to give you a crushing victory, a complete victory over all your enemies. I mean, verse 13 is a mind blower. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. What a statement. God honored Joshua's request to stop the sun and stop the moon for about a whole day. So they had the daylight necessary to complete their victory over the five armies of the five kings. Amen. God doesn't just want you to win. He wants you to win bigly. To borrow a line from our president. Listen, I can't even begin to tell you how many laws of the physical universe had to be suspended or broken to make such a thing happen. I tried, and I'm a smart guy. And, and every time I try to lay it out naturally, it's just like, it's impossible. <laughs> but you have to remember that God exists outside the realm of space and time. He's not bound by the limits of space and time. He can do whatever he wants to with his creation anytime he wants to. And all of that says to me that God is willing, if necessary, to suspend or break the laws of the physical universe in order to bring you a complete victory over every foe you face. That's what I call an assurance of victory. Before you go into battle. So to wrap things up today and to finish off this series, let me summarize some of the things I want you to take away from today's session and from the series in general. There are four items. I've got them up there on slides. Number one, if the God who made the universe is for you, who in the world can be against you? Romans 8.31. Number two, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 1 John 4.4. 4. 
Number three, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. There are multitudes of angels available to you to help you defeat every foe you face. Number four, permanently change your mindset to say no matter what we face, no matter how great the struggle, victory is assured, even in the midst of seeming defeat. Amen. That's what we declare over ourselves, and that's what we declare over our nation. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part four of Dr. Forrest's message, Victory in the Midst of Seeming Defeat. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.